Hi everyone, uh, great to be with you again. My name is Murray Anderson. Welcome to part three in our series. We're in Matthew chapters eight to 10. And today we'll be looking at uh, Matthew uh, chapter nine uh, from verse one. Um, it's been said, it's a bit of a cliche, if you aim at nothing, uh, you're sure to hit it every time. Uh, we all need to know what we're aiming for, what our priorities are. Uh, that's important if you're a professional sports person or an organization, be it a business or a hospital or a church. Uh, if you're not clear on what your purpose is, what your mission is, it's very easy to get distracted from that. Uh, well, what did Jesus view as his primary mission? Uh, that's important, I think, if you if you kind of finding out more about Jesus, not yet following him, you'll want to know what his priority was. But if you're a, a committed follower of Christ already, uh, I'm guessing that you want to understand the priorities of your Lord and Savior clearly. Uh, because in Jesus' day, uh, people actually wanted to set their own priorities for him. Uh, we've seen already in Matthew, the crowds, they were, they were in awe of his miracles. Uh, they had their own expectations of what a Messiah should do and shouldn't do. Uh, they expected Jesus to fit in with their priorities. And the same will happen today. Uh, people will try to impose their own priorities on Jesus um, and whatever social cause they have. So you'll see left-wing liberation movements who claim Jesus as their champion. You'll see right-wing ultra-conservative movements doing the same. Uh, you'll see important and really good social action campaigns and movements to do with inequality and racism and the environment. All of them um, trying to redefine Jesus's mission so that it better fits their particular cause. Well, given all the potential confusion, it's, it's really important to go back to the Bible to, to understand Jesus's mission clearly. And this passage is going to be really helpful for that. It won't cover all that needs to be said about Jesus's mission, but it will go to the heart of his mission. Um, the central thing on which everything else depends. Uh, just a, a, bit of, a bit of a recap. We've seen in Matthew so far his amazing authority on display in these miracles. Uh, I've said before that these miracles are there to point, not to pull. So they're there to point to him as the Messiah. They're not there to pull a crowd, but they inevitably do. So in our last session, we saw Jesus teaching about the cost of following him. But now, if you are following him, what is his actual mission? The first point to this comes in the unusual miracle in chapter 9. Jesus uh, arrives on the shore and he's confronted by a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Some friends had brought this man. And Jesus' words to this paralyzed man are, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, most modern thinkers and commentators and opinion makers would straight away say, Come on, who cares about the sins? Um, if you can heal this guy, look at the need he's in, look at the desperate situation he's in, heal him. Who really cares about sin? Because in our modern world, people don't really care about sin. They just see sin as a bit of a naughtiness. That's how the world often defines sin. Uh, I've got an ice cream shop close to where I live. It's called, it's called Sinful Ice Cream. You see in that just this idea that oh, you'd be a bit naughty, be a bit indulgent, be a little bit sinful. Um, that's not how Jesus thought of sin. That's not how the Bible defines sin. Sin is ignoring God in the world that he has made. Uh, the result of that is a broken relationship with him. Uh, our sin cuts us off from him. Our sin is the origin of all that is wrong in the world. So all the death, all the sickness, all the evil that we've seen Jesus confronting in these chapters, that can all be traced back to our rebellion against God. Now, the teachers of the law, here in verse 3, chapter 9, verse 3, understandably, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. 
They say that, you know, they know that ultimately only God can forgive sin. And so it's blasphemy for a mere man to claim authority to clear someone else's sins. So what does Jesus do? Well, to prove that he's not blaspheming, to prove that he really does have this authority, he performs the type of miracle which no blasphemer would be able to perform. He heals the man's paralysis, and we're left with someone whose physical transformation is, is not just a picture of Jesus' amazing authority, uh, it's also a picture of what he's come to do in the world. Uh, it's a picture of transformation. Um, there's the pointer to Jesus' mission priority. He came to forgive sinners and transform sinners. We've seen this already in, Ma in Matthew. He's the powerful son of God through all these miracles. But he's also, if you go back to 8 verse 17, he's also that suffering servant figure from Isaiah. Nobody thought those two titles would be brought together. In Jesus they are. You see this actually as you, as you go on in Matthew, as you read any of the Gospels, there's often a flurry of miracles. It leads to massive hype and expectation. But increasingly, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's determined to get to Jerusalem because that's where he will die for the sins of the world on the cross. His mission is not primarily the healing or the exercising or the feeding of thousands or saving people from natural disasters. His mission is to get to the cross to die for our sins. So if this is his priority, it makes sense that that's going to shape kind of who he spends time with uh, and who he calls. Verse 9, we see him calling a tax collector. Uh, you'll know that they were the absolute scum of the earth in, in, in that society. Think of them as a kind of combination of a, a corrupt politician, a debt collector for the mafia, and a SARS employee. Okay, that's how, that's how terrible they were. Jesus will call people like that, and he will associate with people like that. In verses 10 and 11, we see him having a meal with tax collectors. Uh, other, other Gospels talk about him eating with prostitutes. And of course the Pharisees are concerned about this because in their opinion, if the Messiah is coming, well, he's not going to side with the wicked. He's not going to associate with the wicked. In fact, he's come to just purify the world of wickedness. He's not going to spend time with the wicked. He'll only spend time with the righteous and the good. Look how Jesus answers them in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 12. Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And then he does a very pointed thing, actually a brutal thing, to these experts in the law, experts in the Old Testament, who thought they really weren't sick, um, Jesus tells them to go back and learn something from the Scriptures. And he quotes from Hosea 6, verse 6, Go and learn what this means. I desire, not, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You see, in Hosea's day, the Jewish leaders had become corrupt. They, they loved their temple rituals, but they were actually corrupt leaders. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, you're no better than those leaders in the day of Hosea. You've lost the heart of what it means to follow God. You're more concerned with the external rituals than with emulating the mercy he has shown you. Their attitude to the, sinner, the sinners and the tax collectors is proof that they're just not merciful. And so when Jesus says, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners, of course, he's not exonerating the, the, the Pharisees. No, the statement shows the type of Messiah he has come to be. He will not conform to the priorities of others. He will not be the type of Messiah they expected. His mission is to pursue the lost, the sick, the sinners. Those who don't see themselves as lost sinners will miss out on the benefits of his wonderful mission. It's a good caution, isn't it? Because we all, in our hearts, we tend to think we're a lot better than we are. So it's good to be reminded that actually Jesus came for those who know how bad they are. We all fall short of the glory of God.
Uh, remember, you, you may be on the kind of the highest peak of moral achievement, the Mount Everest of moral achievement. You may be down in the deepest, darkest valley of sin and depravity. No matter where you are in this world, you, both people are still miles and miles away from the stars, which is God's standard. So no matter where you're at in terms of your morality, you still fall way short of God's standard. And so in that sense, no one is exempt from the need of a savior. That's something these religious leaders didn't understand. And so maybe you're someone who's been listening to the series or, or, or coming to this channel often. Uh, maybe you're kind of interested in starting to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you, deep down you just don't feel good enough. I hope you realize from this passage that if you get to the point where you think you are good enough for Jesus, you're totally on the wrong track. He came for the sick, the broken, the ashamed. He invites sinners, all sinners, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with. He came to forgive and transform sinners. He died and rose again for sinners. That's the great news of this passage in our lives. But then just going back to how I started, the, the mission of Jesus, his priority. Um, just to think a little bit more about that just as, as we close. Imagine just for a moment, imagine you heard of a medical doctor uh, who discovered a cure for cancer, a cure for Alzheimer's, an amazing vaccine for COVID, which could just be distributed across the world in a matter of weeks. Uh, on the weekends, this medical doctor also practices some engineering. And so he, he comes up with a new filtration system that solves kind of um, carbon emissions. He comes up with a new bacteria that devours all the plastic in the oceans. Uh, what's more, he's also really politically astute. So he, he intervenes in the Middle East crisis and solves all the problems there. Um, he solves the problems of racial tension in American cities and in our cities. Um, the tension between Russia and just about everyone else. Um, this kind of uh, incredible person, how would we respond to him? I mean, he would be celebrated. He would be the, the person of the year, the person of the century. And yet we've got to conclude that this mythical kind of figure doesn't even come close to Jesus. Doesn't even come close. Doesn't come close to achieving what Jesus achieved. Jesus is eventually going to achieve all those wonderful things anyway. He will introduce a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more disease or war or injustice. But he will do so because he has dealt with the, the root problem, the foundational problem, which is our sin, our rebellion against God. That was his mission. And so let's make sure we don't try to redefine that mission. Uh, he came to forgive and transform sinners. That's the biggest thing anyone could ever do. If you want to be one of his disciples, keep that central. Uh, join us next time. We'll carry on in Matthew uh, chapters 8 to 10. Hope to see you then. Cheers.